Thanks for listening to the podcast of First Alliance Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. For more information about our church or to watch a video recording of today's message, visit us online at facws.org. Praise the Lord, for He is good. We're going to do one simple thing this morning leading up to the table. We're going to read a story. We've changed scenes For the last few Sundays we've been in, if this were a movie, the Gospel of Luke, you'd have the first scene opens up and the screenplay would say, open on the temple and then narrow in to one man offering incense before the Lord in the time of his appointed service. And we saw what happened with Zechariah, how the angel appeared around the right side of the altar and said, that you, even though you are old in age, your wife will bear a child. You shall name him John, and he will be very great. But then he didn't quite believe it, now did he? And so he was struck mute. But his wife gave thanks. Now we go to scene two. Open on a small fishing village, maybe something like off the coast of North Carolina, where... People make their living by their hands, largely going out onto this little sea called the Sea of Galilee and gathering up fish in nets that would have been hand-woven. The place smelled like the sea. Really, it smelled like fish because if you've ever been to a fishing village in any kind of developing world country, you know that the fish aren't just caught there. They are usually dried there in racks. And so you get this smell of dried, salty fish just kind of perpetuating and and wafting through the village at all times. You would know a few miles out that you were dealing with a blue-collar, working-class kind of people who were fishy-smelling and ate a lot of fish. But as a result, they probably had very good skin. So there's that. Anyway, that's our scene, a fishing village And we open up, not just to a fishing village, but to a young girl, a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph. Now what we know about Mary is that she was a virgin, an unmarried, betrothed, meaning she was probably somewhere between 15 and 18 years of age. In those days... To be married off, it happened pretty much as soon as you were of childbearing age, which could be as young as even 14. And it would cause my teenagers, when I led youth ministry, no shortage of heart palpitations when I point at the young girls and say, it could have been you, 14-year-old girl going, you know. But here she was. Now, we don't know the scene, if she was in her bed, asleep, or in her home, Preparing fish. We don't know what she was doing. But Gabriel shows up, as he did with Zechariah. And she is terrified, as Zechariah was. And she had a message, or he had a message for her. Now, twice, Luke is careful to clarify for us. First of all, when the angel shows up to Zechariah, the angel says, I am with God and he sent me. Here, Luke starts right out with that, straight from the verse in 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Angels did not 
just go from town to town giving out all sorts of crazy promises to young virgin girls in the middle of nowhere for no reason. Can you imagine in all time, everything that has existed up to that point, and even now thereafter, there was one place, one time, one village, and one girl to whom that angel would be sent and given this outstanding and amazing and unbelievable promise. You will be the mother of the king, the son of the Most High, whose kingdom will have no end. You will call him Jesus. Now here's a master storyteller for you. This is the Gospel of Luke. We've already gotten about halfway through the first chapter of Luke. And what is the Gospel all about? Well, it's all about Jesus. But this is the first time that the name appears in the story. You see, we grow up in the church and we hear Jesus and we hear the stories and we, we conflate the four Gospels into one kind of meta-narrative. But don't miss the flavor of each of these different authors. Luke is, I think, out of the four, the most masterful storyteller because he really hooks you in. He tells you another story before he tells you about Jesus. He doesn't even get to Jesus until here we are, 25, 30 verses later, into the story. And then he says, you will name him. And aha, there it is. You will name him. Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. It is the same name that was worn by the greatest military commander ever known, that is Joshua. It's the same name, Yeshua. The Lord saves. Now imagine you are Mary. Put yourself in those shoes. We, we don't fall in the tradition of people that venerate Mary and claim that she was this kind of perfect walk-on-water young lady that everybody would have known as being so exceptional in all of her doings because she was so pure and wonderful. She was not from a capital city where kings would be born. Kings are not born or raised or created in a place like Galilee. They come from Rome, or they come from Babylon, or they come from, if you're Jewish, Jerusalem. They don't come from anywhere, nowhere, as the case may be. To make it local, if you were having a king of the triad, they would come from the heart of old Salem, maybe, not from, sorry, for Davidson County. It wouldn't come from Lexington. He will reign over the house of Jacob. It's important to note in this story that this is a very, very, very Jewish moment. Luke does not want you, the reader, to misunderstand what is happening here. Christianity is not something that just was created out of nothing. It is the fulfillment of God's prophecies which extend back for all time, going back to the very Garden of Eden when we have the first gospel where the offspring of Mary would crush the head of the serpent even as the serpent strikes his heel. And on through the millennia as we have prophet after prophet sharing story of the chosen one, the Messiah who would come. And that is why Luke is careful to note the words of the angel Gabriel who says... 
The Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. If you were to put into the pantheon of names of the Jewish people, you're talking about two of the top five, David probably being number one, or perhaps number two after Abraham, and Jacob being maybe number three or four. These are the people that shaped it would be like me saying he will be a president in the line of George Washington. That's the shape. That's the reminder. This is not going to be some regional ruler or despot, some small-minded clown who needs an army to rule. This is God himself. Now Luke, again, is the master storyteller. Look at the way that the narrative shape, the way the story is told, informs what we are reading. Uh, an angel showed up to a man in the temple. An angel gave, the same angel, Gabriel, gave a promise to a man that a child would be born in an inconceivable way, no pun intended, in an inconceivable way with all of the promises of a great prophet like Elijah all of a sudden showing up again and, and he will be amazing and you will name him John and he will call people to repent. And here the angel shows up again and you're thinking the story couldn't get any greater, couldn't get any juicier, couldn't get any better. And all of a sudden the angel's saying, God himself, the eternal king, will be born to you. Whoa. Wow. Now here's what's so amazing about this story. Zechariah was in the temple working before the altar of the Lord where God is supposed to show up. Mary was in Galilee, a young woman, a virgin of no account where God is not supposed to show up. And yet it is there that he shows up most powerfully and gives the most important promise mankind has ever heard. He will be great, son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne, and he will reign forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now when Zechariah heard this, and again, look at the narrative parallel. God is genius in the way that he uses Luke to show this. The narrative parallel. Zechariah doubts, but Zechariah's doubt is expressed in a way that basically says, uh-uh, no way. Go back to Zechariah. He says, how can I know that's true? Another way of putting it is, why should I even believe you? Mary has the same or similar question, but it's a different connotation. She says, how will this be because I am a virgin? In other words, her answer is not, I don't believe you. Her answer is, I believe you, but how are you going to do this? I'm going to marry another man. He's not a king. Joseph was a carpenter. They lived in Galilee. It is not a question of, no, God, I don't believe that this is going to happen, an expression of doubt, but rather, oh, oh well, well, okay. How? How is this going to go on? It was an expression of faith that asked for the next step. Do you see the difference? Zechariah saying, eh. Mary saying, okay, but 
elaborate. Natural question, if you're a young virgin woman and you're told you're going to have a child. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And as if you need proof, your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Now, after the sermon last week, Brian Hankel asked me a very important question. Well, why at the end of the previous section? Remember the previous scene. Go back a page if you're in my Bible. I don't know about your Bible. It says, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. This is Zachariah and Elizabeth. And for five months, she kept herself hidden. Why would she keep herself hidden? Well, you're a very, very old woman. And God has just promised you that you're going to have a child. And this is the days before you have ultrasounds. You have no way of knowing whether or not this thing is actually going to become true. Now, I'm not saying we should all doubt and be kind of wary, but I would be surprised if one of our senior ladies stood up in the middle of the church and said, Everyone, I'm pregnant, and the child is a prophet of the Most High God. We might all pause. But between the fifth and the sixth month, even when you don't have an ultrasound, you begin to feel. And the ancients called that the quickening. You ever heard that before? Yeah, going back before we had ultrasounds, going back before we had all our technology, when we could tell if a woman was pregnant, when you knew that it was happening, you had the quickening. And that's the first time you felt the baby move. And all of a sudden, a woman who knew a nurse, an experienced mother, could feel a baby moving inside of another woman. And then a few months later, everybody in the shopping mart would start feeling, get your hands off me. <laughs> and so Elizabeth hid herself because she was going to be pregnant. And until the quickening, they didn't want to seem too crazy. At least that's my human understanding of it. It's not in Scripture. Don't take it home as gospel truth. But I think it makes sense. And that's why even Mary, who was her relative, who would have otherwise known, right? She would have known because here, uh, great aunt Susie or great cousin, you know, whatever, is, is 90 and she's having a child. Everybody in the family would know in like two seconds. That's why she didn't know. So the angel has given her not just the greatest prophecy that has ever been heard, but now she has given Mary verifiable, provable, and falsifiable information that Mary did not know by way of proving what he was going to do in her. God says, I will impregnate you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And if you want to see proof, go find your relative. You mean great aunt so-and-so? Great cousin so-and-so? She's like 87. She can't be pregnant. Go find her and find out. And what is Mary's response? Behold, I am a servant of the Lord 
Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I think it's important to notice the flavor of what Mary has to say. In a few weeks, hopefully we'll get to Christmas in the story by the time we get to Christmas in real life. In a few weeks, we're going to see Mary's song when she responds when she encounters Elizabeth. But right now we get her first response in verse 38. Everybody look at it. I am the servant. The bond servant is the literal translation of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Why wasn't Mary more excited? Why wasn't she leaping for joy? Well, she's a 15-year-old girl. She's getting ready to be married, which is a nerve-wracking thing anyway, because it would have been a planned marriage. Somebody would have arranged this thing with Joseph, who was likely older than her, perhaps even much older than her. We don't know his real age. Some people assume that he was in his 20s or 30s. We don't know. And all of a sudden, that plan, her whole life's work, say yes to the dress, etc., etc., is all completely disrupted. Because she's going to have a child. But not just any child. One, not Joseph's child. Two, she's going to have a child. She went from marriage to childbirthing before she ever had the marriage. And having a child in those days was no small feat. Most women died from pregnancy in those days. It was a fearful thing. The Jews took quite seriously what was written in Genesis when God cursed Women cursed Eve with great pain in childbearing. They didn't have the drugs. They didn't have the spinal. They didn't have the videos. They didn't have what we have now. To have a child then meant when you said, I can't take it anymore, the person helping you said, too bad. Here's a stick. Bite. So I'm not going to marry Joseph, or am I going to marry Joseph? I don't know. How is Joseph going to respond? I'm going to have a baby. That baby is going to be a king. What does that even mean? So of course she wasn't excited. She was terrified. Shaken to the core. But her response is faith. See, sometimes we get confused in thinking that faith is always going to mean that we respond with joy when the Lord leads us down difficult paths. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Faith is responding in obedience in the midst of trial. I am the Lord's bond servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Was an incredibly difficult thing for Mary to say. I know if I were Mary, I would say, What? There are a lot of other women my age in this town. Let me give you a different name. But that's not what she did. She responded in faith. And she would keep responding in faith, even at extraordinary personal cost. We tend to think of Mary as being venerated. We've inherited that from the Catholics in a sense of uh, the imagery and the songs and, and uh, all of the things that, that we've gotten through church history. But Mary, out of everybody in the Bible, is the most tragic figure of them all. Think about it. A young girl betrothed to another man has a child. 
30 years later, when she's only in her mid-40s, maybe her late 40s, just, just, you know, a decade and a half older than him, he starts going around. Now remember, he was supposed to be the king and sit on the throne, and now she's well past middle age, uh, wondering, why am I not really rich and uh, have a king that's going to take care of me in my old age? I have a carpenter who's kind of out there, and he's not married, Right? So that's like some shame on me. Okay, let's, let's stick with Mary. Think about it. Put, put yourself in her shoes. I've got this 30-something-year-old carpenter boy who's not married. What are people saying around this small little fishing village where we live? Right? Okay? You follow me? And now he starts spouting off all this wildness about being the son of God himself, which she knew was to come, but thought it might mean something a little different than what it actually meant. And then three years into his public ministry, after she tried being a good mother with her other sons to have an intervention, right? She stays an intervention. She went to him when he was preaching and said, Come on out, boy. We've got to settle this thing. Something ain't right with you. That's the Davidson County version. Get out here. Your mama's got to talk to you. And he said, I am with my mother and my brothers. Whoever follows after me and does what I say is my mother and brother. Whoa, boy, you're looking for a whooping. Right? Three years into that, she watches her son die. A traitor to Rome. A criminal on the cross. And we don't get much of her after that, do we? Mary's life is tough. It is not an easy road to walk down. We need to be careful when we consider the life of faith. Because the life of faith is not what we think it is. It is not the life of ease or comfort. It is not the life of life turning out how we thought it should have turned out. If we want an example of the life of faith, it might be the life of Mary whom we all love and sing songs about. We're not Catholic, but we still have Mary, did you know that you... Right? One of those, we, we have good songs about her. But her life was tragedy all throughout. So as we consider Mary, consider where Mary's story ends up, which is where we go right now, to the table. And consider that in your life and in mine, we have to accept the possibility, as difficult as it might be, that we will face tragedy and suffering for the name and the sake of Christ. But that's okay. Not only is it okay, it might be the greatest news in our lives. It might be the best possible outcome for our lives. For if we inherited the life that we thought that we want, we might, as Christ says, lose our very souls, even if we gain the whole world. You see, Mary didn't gain the whole world, did she? Mary never got a throne. She never got a crown. She never got robes. But... She has eternal pleasures in heaven as her own son bought a place for her with his own blood. In your life, you might know nothing but suffering from now until the end of your days in terms of your physical, real experience. But I can promise you that according to God's word, if you had a life that was full in ease and comfort, you might face an eternity of suffering.
instead of a temporary time of suffering. Look at the parents of kings that weren't married. Do you know what Herod did to his mom? Killed her, painfully. Do you know what all of the other kings that ever lived during those days did to their moms? Killed them and killed all of mom's other kids because they represented threats to your throne. In fact, it was worse to be the king of uh, the mom of an actual king than to be the mom of the king of kings. So even though Mary suffered, and we think in our eyes, wouldn't it have been better if she had been faithful to the world or faithful to money or faithful to power or faithful to even something other than being faithful to God, in truth being faithful to God is the one thing that saved her and saves every single one of us. So for all her shame, for all her suffering, for all of the tragedy that she would endure for the next several decades of her life as things didn't play out quite as perhaps she thought they would in her mind, through her faithfulness, we have access to the throne room of her son, Jesus. And it's right here. Now, we do not have to suffer what Mary suffered, which is watching her own son die. We don't have to stand there and see on the cross as he's lifted up after the nails were driven into his hands and feet and the crown of thorns pressed into his head. We don't have to experience the shame as he looks down, bloodied and beaten and barely breathing, and says to his beloved disciple, Take care of this woman. She is now your mother. We don't have to experience that, but we get the same benefit. Though none of us have to see the cross, we all get to be saved by that same cross. Mary had her sins that were covered by her own son's blood. You have yours. My question to you is, Mary had faith to you. Mary had faith in her sufferings, in her doubt. She had faith in, in trials. She had faith in tragedy. Do you have faith, wherever you are, that Christ is sufficient for you in the middle of your life, wherever it is? I think He is. I think He is. He's sufficient to cover all of your sins. He's sufficient to give your life purpose. Whatever that purpose might be, it might be a life like Mary's, which is not what we would expect or hope for, but certainly results in goodness and grace. But wherever it is, is Christ sufficient for you? If he is, then we take the table together and we celebrate again God's goodness to us in the life and death of his son Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, I do not know why you chose Mary. And we're not given clues from Scripture. But we know that she said yes when you called her to a calling that she didn't totally understand. And she was faithful and she raised a child that she had not sought out or expected. 
And she was faithful even when there was doubt and tussle and pain, even when her boy ran off to the temple and she didn't know where he was, even when he was preaching to all these people and she didn't know what he was doing, even when he suffered and died a traitor's death on the cross and she didn't understand it and suffered all through it. Nevertheless, she was faithful. Lord, give us that steadfast faithfulness, whatever our calling might be. Lord, we know our broader callings to be salt and light, to be filled with the Spirit and share the gospel. But Lord, each of us has a different lot in life, a different calling, a different place to be. And each of us suffers on very unique and different levels. Every person in this room has suffered or is suffering or will suffer because the world is broken. God, give us faith in the midst of our suffering, not despite our suffering. Lord, let us hold fast to your word and to the promises of it, and let us above all cling to the grace of Mary's Son, Jesus Christ, which pours over us like rain every single morning. Your mercies are new, O God. We don't always know them. We don't always see them. We don't always understand them, but they are there. And as Mary counted it grace enough to be the mother of her own Lord, we count it grace enough to open our eyes and see Jesus, our Lord, on the cross dying for our sins. And if that's all we have some days, let that be enough because it is enough and will be enough. In your name we pray. Amen.